I'm Stephen Price. Hello, I'm Cara Githens. This is The Innkeepers, a podcast by Sanctuary Inn. At Sanctuary Inn, we believe we are called to equip, refresh, and restore God's global workers. On this podcast, we will be interviewing guests who have much to teach us about the many facets of missionary care. Let's learn together and be encouraged to press on in the work God has given each one of us to do. Hi, this is Steve. Hello, this is Kara, and today we are so excited that you're here with us for another Innkeepers podcast. We have the opportunity today to talk to Connie Beefus, and Connie's a member care and psychological consultant with 35 years of experience providing mental and spiritual health for international cross-cultural workers. And she herself comes from such a rich background. Having grown up in Africa as a missionary kid, she herself is a third culture kid, a TCK, and her husband as well is also a third culture kid. So not only did she grow up in Africa, they lived in Latin America for 17 years, and uh, she has worked with a number of different agencies in helping prepare their missionaries for cross-cultural ministry. She and her husband have two children that they adopted, and um, today we're going to be referencing a book that she's written, uh, recently written called The Sojourner's Workbook, A Guide to Thriving Cross-Culturally. And the, the aim or the focus of this book is helping people really um, thrive and survive really well that first term of missionary service. Well, today on the Innkeepers podcast, we have the opportunity to interview Connie Beefus. And uh, Connie, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Um, tell us, let's start by just getting a little bit of your story, your growing up, and then some of your training and experience. Well, thank you. Uh, I grew up in Africa. My parents were cross-cultural workers, uh, missionaries in Africa. So I grew up there, the oldest of six kids. So I am what's known as a missionary kid or a third culture kid and um, married a third culture kid, which was very helpful because we understood each other Mm -hmm. in the many aspects that third culture kids do. And then we raised two third culture kids. So we've got a lot of us in in my particular family. Um, I was blessed to have very biblically literate parents. So not only did they really live out the gospel, which was quite a blessing to me to watch, but they taught all of us six kids early on about God's word in a very effective way. And um, I enjoyed it so much that when I went to college, I I majored in lit, um, but I also majored in Bible. And all my life, it has been my joy to really study God's word in depth. And then as I became intrigued with people and how they function and how they adjust in cultures, and so I began in the realm of counseling and psychology, then I took it upon myself to very carefully integrate God's word with whatever I was learning about psychology. Mm -hmm. And psychology, especially a lot of the research, has a lot to offer, but none of it trumps God's word and God's values. And that's how I've always operated as a counselor and as a psychologist. I did go on to get a master's degree in guidance and counseling. And then eventually I didn't know enough. And I went to get a PhD Mm -hmm. in counseling psychology. And I still don't know enough, but that's enough of that kind of thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> As I said, my husband is also a third culture kid. His passion um, is trying to help the poor to get jobs and grow their faith at the same time. So he has a whole fascinating story of his own. Um, all in all, I've lived in seven different countries growing up in Africa and then serving in Latin America in three different countries um, and five different states. Um, so I've, I've had a lot of moving, <laughs> a lot of relocating yes. and a lot of crossing cultures myself. So I've been fascinated by, by what that means. Wow, that's, there's a lot of experiences right there and we, that's a whole nother show right there. But. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, so what would you say were some of the life lessons you've learned from living kind of among worlds? Oh, a lot of them. Um, one is that God leads in some very strange and unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of have to be prepared, I think, for a surprising God. He's always got something up his sleeve. He's always with us, watching in my own life and walking with other people through hard things. He, he let's be honest, he lets us go through some really hard stuff. Mm -hmm. But he also brings in his touches of grace, some little signs of tender, loving care. Another one is that international living and transitions often, not always, but they often make for mature, broad-minded, really interesting people. I really like missionaries. Yeah. Um, I, I find them, with some exceptions, obviously, down to earth, good sense of humor, don't take themselves too seriously, um, like the culture they're in. Um, they don't love it necessarily, but, well, they love it, but they're realistic about it. I would say that we need to be, I have certainly needed to learn to be a high functioning exile, mm. not completely at home anywhere, no. um, but learning to fit in, learning to understand and to keep running to God with the intrinsic loneliness of being in exile. Uh -huh. And I would say that even in my own country now that I've been back here for a number of years. So I think the the lesson of life is dependency on God, um, not, on, not on myself, not even on loved ones, but uh, dependency on God. Therefore, a well-maintained relationship with God is key. Mm -hmm. Absolutely essential. You can't live a life of this amount of mobility and, you know, all your safety security nets get stripped away over the time, over the years and transition. And what, what I'm hearing you discovered is that God is your rock and your foundation and your that's, and this world is not your home. It's, it's not, you know, um, our children are adopted um, from Honduras. And I remember standing in the line holding my four month old little son in my arms and I, he wasn't yet an, an American citizen. So I was standing in the resident alien line where you stand when you have a green card, you know, and I'd never stood in that line as an American citizen. And I thought that is a wonderful, yeah. wonderful phrase, resident alien, because that's what we are on God's earth. Yeah. And to learn that and be okay with it is, is a good thing. And it's part of what crossing cultures in missions 
can help you learn in very good ways. And if you don't learn it in a good way, then, yeah. then you're, you're not much help to anybody and you might be a drain on a few people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the five years we spent in Eastern Europe were some of the most maturing five was probably the most maturing five years of my life because it helped me see myself so much more clearly Mm-hmm. It helped me to see my home country so much more clearly. Yes. And I all, I kind of feel like everyone should move for five years and live somewhere else. <laughs> and then I, I think the world would be a completely different place. But anyway. Uh, you're probably right. It's transformative. It is. It is. And it should be. So um, Connie, as you uh, have the opportunity to interact with the missionaries and mission agencies and so on, and, and then just reflecting back on your own life, are there some common themes or stresses that you see um, kind of floating to the top in the lives of cross-cultural workers? Yes. I, one is that the person, even most people in, in State Department, you know, and military who move, they, they don't usually get to stay in one country indefinitely. They're going back and forth. So the the cross-cultural life of an expatriate, which is mostly what we're talking about, is full of constant transitions. Mm -hmm. So you get used to leaving and then you get used to adjusting and then you're leaving again and then you're adjusting back to the United States for a furlough or a home assignment and then you're going back in the field. And um, transitions can teach us some very good things, but they're basically unsettling, Mm -hmm. obviously. And they're exhausting too. So, you know, one of the things I learned to pay attention to um, as a director of, of member care for two different agencies is how much transition had a particular single person or family come through? Mm-hmm. Where were they in the transition process? And were we even supposedly in their best interest? Were, were we going to demand another transition that was going to wreak havoc with something? else good we were trying to do. So I think we need to pay attention to transitions. And then there's loss. It's not the loss of a loved one that's permanent. It's not the level of loss of a hurricane or a tsunami, but it's constant loss Mm -hmm. that adds up after a while. It has a cumulative effect on people. And if they don't do the grieving that they need to do, then they're walking around kind of burdened down Mm-hmm. by this cumulative pileup of loss, especially third culture kits have a lot of that. And so cumulative stress and fatigue, just because of constant transitions, um, because, and we might get to this topic more, um, missionaries and cross-cultural servants are notoriously bad at rest. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we'll get there. <laughs> and Sabbath, they, they just, they're not, well, good. Let's be fair, ministers and pastors aren't good at it either. No, so, no. okay. But another theme is that it's adventure. You, there's a lot of fun to this life. Mm-hmm. You do get to travel, you do get to taste wonderful foods, you do get to see another culture, you get to do a lot of things that people go touristing to do, you know, but it's, but it's part of your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, um, many of the experiences are, are fascinating. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful. A not so fun part of it is just being misunderstood mm-hmm. on both sides of the ocean or both sides of the plane trip, so to speak. Yeah. Missionary's lifestyle is 
different from anybody else's. And it's very hard to understand if you haven't lived it. So they can be understood by their own blood family. They can be misunderstood by their churches. Mm-hmm. They can, they're certainly misunderstood by the constituents they have gone to serve in the host country. Pretty much constantly misunderstood. And I don't mean to make them feel, sound like a victim. They're not. Mm-hmm. That is part of the lifestyle. And therefore, they often have issues with identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are they really? Yeah. Are they who somebody thinks they are? Which somebody? <laughs> right. And how do I fit in? Do I try to fit in? What do I do? There you go. No. Cro- chronically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what do you think are some of the things that take people by surprise when they first, you know, maybe a church has sent them cross-culturally and they maybe understand some of the, these struggles might come along that you've mentioned, but what really catches people by surprise? in moving cross-culturally? Well, I think one of the first things that catches people by surprise is how much comfort matters. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, they are willing to sacrifice it. They expect it to sacrifice it. And then when the electricity is off and they can't get at, you know, can't charge their cell phone or get at their computer or they can't finish making dinner, it's amazing how irritated that can make you. Uh-huh. Um, or just not having hot water or having to boil your water all the time. Um, These are comforts that in and of themselves are kind of small, Mm -hmm. but until you're living without them perpetually and and you're thinking you're gonna have to do this for four, five, 10 years, Mm -hmm. um, it's surprising how much it matters. They're not being understood. Yeah, the whole identity thing. And I have a feeling we might unpack this more later. So I'll just say that being being valued for things that they don't value. Um, being North Americans in many third world countries, uh, people try to get to know them just because they're American. Um, well, they see them as dollar signs. And dollar signs, or maybe a possible visa somehow, you know, to the United States. So um, they're valued for things that they, they don't want to be valued for. And they're not valued for things they would like to be valued for. Their gifts, the intelligence that they bring, the, the gospel. Um, the sacrifices that they've made and often the sacrifices they've made don't look very sacrificial to the people they're serving, depending on what economic level they're living among for, for many sojourners. And that, that by the way, is the anthropological term for expatriates who willingly go live abroad. And, and thus it's in the title of the book that I imagine is going to come up in a little while, but Many sojourners um, don't understand that when they go home, that is going to be hard. That, as we mentioned, it living overseas is transformative, and you can't ever actually go home in exactly the way that you were there before. Yeah, and, and your, your home has changed as well as you have changed. And home's perception of you and your perception of home. Yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, so many conversations on our end here when we sit down with missionary guests and we stop and we listen to their story. Just people comment on the fact that no one, no one stops to listen to them. And that's one of the hardest things is finding someone that will listen and will listen for a long period of time. Uh, because yeah. uh, sadly, we are not a people that are trained to listen well. Uh, 
uh, anyway, in the American culture, we, we listen for a minute or two and then we're on to the next thing. Yes. In fact, when I've had an opportunity to work with people just before they get to the States, I say, prepare a two sentence summary of, of your whole life overseas. Right. A two sentence one. Yeah. For people, because that's all the attention span a lot of people are going to have. Yeah. Prepare a five sentence summary for people who are going to listen a little bit longer. And you're your really, really close friends or a surprising few people will, will listen to your whole experience. Be, be ready for the short attention span. And it might yeah. not even be family members that get the full story. No. no. And I think it, that it, sometimes it, the assumption is, oh, my family will listen to me. Yeah. But mm -hmm. not, it may not be. No, people tend to ask, oh, how was your time in Indonesia? you know, meaning the last three years, kind of the same way they ask, oh, how was your vacation? That was, you know, a week long. Right. Mm -hmm. And I also want to go back to that word home. For TCK as missionary kids, when you talk about home, you know, the parent sending country, for them, it rarely is home anymore. So just being TCK myself, that word is like a trigger word for me. So if you're <laughs> anyone's listening yeah. and you have TCKs that you have in your life, mm -hmm. I would recommend not talking about US, Canada, or wherever the sending country is as home for those kids. Well, um, Connie, let's let's uh, jump into the book you mentioned, um, the Sojourner's Workbook: A Guide to Thriving Cross-Culturally. And you literally mean this as a workbook. This is something that you have blank spaces in here for people to write in. You have chapters for people to think about different things and work on things. Um, so, but and and the real focus or the emphasis of this is helping people get through especially that first term service, because there are so many adjustments, so many things that are part of that first term that um, can really just knock someone for a loop. So um, let's talk about some of those struggles in that first term. And we talked a little bit about some of those things that take people by surprise, but what other kinds of things are in that first term that are devastating enough to someone that they don't return to the field? Well, I was very intrigued early, early in our married life. Uh, I had grown up in Africa. We went to Latin America um, as a couple. And then I worked on my degree in counseling and, and uh, people would come to me struggling with cross-cultural adjustment. And some of them would make it through and some would not. And I thought, this is really interesting. Why is this so hard? And, and I will admit that it's hard for me. I had grown up crossing cultures in Africa, in the United States, but then to go to Latin America was a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. So I understood what I was going through, but I would watch other people and I thought, I, I want to understand this. So when I had to do a dissertation for my doctoral work, I, there was no hesitation what I wanted to study. So I did my doctoral thesis on a treatment for cross-cultural adjustment. And at that point, believe it or not, there was not a lot of psychological investigation. There was some anthropological work. Um, so I studied that. And then as I, as a counselor, was invited to do care of missionaries and then became the director of member care for two different missions, I kept noticing that the first term on the field 
was absolutely critical. I mean, people were floundering. They were struggling. Yeah. And I began to realize that how they made it through those first two years was absolutely key mm. because they were forming attitudes and patterns of behavior yeah. and ways of dealing with things that were either going to help or were not going to help. Mm-hmm. So missions have always understood that missionaries need to learn the language. They need to learn their way around. They need to adjust. But I don't know if there was as full an understanding of it as needed. So I began to really look at it. And I decided that there were seven areas that the first term missionary needed to work on. And some of those area areas, the missionary needs to work on all their lives, mm-hmm. yeah. especially in the first term. So um, th- the first one is how they manage stress. Do they recognize stress stress triggers and cues? And then how do they lower stress for themselves? And everybody is a little bit different. Um, Secondly, as we have mentioned, there's a lot of loss. Mm -hmm. And it often goes unrecognized. You know, people tend to think of major losses like the loss of a loved one, somebody, you know, close to you dying or a job, but they don't recognize necessarily all the little losses that are added up when you move overseas and they need to grieve those. Thirdly, they need to figure out how to do recreation and play in a new environment. And they need to feel permission to do that. Yeah, Life cannot be all sacrifice. Right, that's such Um, a huge, huge area for people to feel the freedom to do it. The freedom to do it and they often have to find completely new ways to do it. Their brain has an awful lot to learn in that first year. And there are some ways to help the brain learn and not be exhausted. So there's a chapter on retraining the brain in that book. Besides play and recreation, they need to learn how to pace themselves to get enough rest. And they need Sabbath. They really need, I personally have come to believe strongly that Sabbath is not just an Old Testament idea. It is for all believers, which I personally don't believe means it has to be practiced legalistically. It doesn't have to mean, you know, Friday evening sundown to Saturday evening sundown. But I do think God wants us to take it very seriously as a principle. And so maybe you can't, many ministers can't have a Saturday or Sunday Sabbath. Many of them do Monday Some don't do it at all. Um, Missionaries have some unique challenges in figuring out how they're going to obey the concept of Sabbath. Mm -hmm. But if they would, it would really help them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they need, in general, to know how to pace themselves. If they they would only do Sabbath every week, that would help a lot. Uh But sometimes there's a lot more stress and strain. For example... Many missionaries have a short-term team come and stay with them for 10 days. Right. It's wonderful. There are many wonderful things about it, but getting ready for the short-term team is exhausting. Entertaining the short-term team is exhausting. And after they go, the missionary needs a week off, quite frankly. They need to recover from that very high adrenaline time, do they? Well, not unless they're really helped to do that. The most, the greatest likelihood is that they will go try to get done everything they didn't get done while a short-term team was with them. 
And then it, in my career of working with missionaries, there were a number of them that came to me in severe burnout. And um, I stopped counting at 19. And a number of them had to be moved off the field just to recover from burnout. Uh, I'm glad to say a number of them went back, but some of them had irretrievably hurt their health hmm. simply by, by not pacing themselves. Now, the missionary life is stressful. If they've had a coup in their country and they've had a break-in and they've had a lot going on, the stress isn't necessarily their fault, but recognizing that they need rest and recovery time is important. Yeah. Either they should have realized that or somebody should have helped them get that. They need the tools to be able to cope. They with need them. the tools and they need the permission. So there's a chapter on, on Sabbath in the Sojourner Workbook there's, there's a chapter on identity um, because identity is so crucial to the missionary. You know, the, the beginning missionary makes a lot of sacrifices, leaves home. Let's say he or she or both of them together, they learn how, how to adapt and so on. But they might well wonder who they are. Let's take an example of a very popular um, youth pastor at a mega church. And let's say his wife is a high functioning physical therapist who's gonna do well in her field, but they feel the call to missions. And so they go overseas and they learn the language, but they're just starting to get to know the people and he's not popular. Mm -hmm. He's not recognized for the great preacher and the outgoing charming person that he is. He's stumbling around in the language. Um, she finds that the government doesn't want to recognize any of her physical therapy okay. um, qualifications, and she's not going to be able to help anybody officially, only unofficially. This couple starts to wonder who they are. Mm -hmm. And does anybody value them? Does God value them? Sometimes it goes to, is it worth it? And this goes on and on. I mean, a couple can... So let's say they survive that, they find ways to minister and everything, but then they get transferred to a different field or a different place. And then they have to go through the identity stuff all over again. And, and everybody, this is normal. Yeah, I go through this. If we don't have our identity clearly hung on God's love for us as individuals, then we're going to mess up in the identity area. It's a lesson that I think has to be learned over and over again. The final chapter in the Sojourner Workbook, and I don't know if it should be the first or if it should be third. It, it's hard to know. All of these chapters are needed, and I had to put them in some kind of order. But the, the final chapter is on maintaining spiritual disciplines in the midst of chaos and turmoil. Yeah. Because the natural thing for most of us is to stop. We're so overwhelmed. And, and you know how it is when you're really, really exhausted? Your brain just really doesn't function very well. It's pretty hard to do any in-depth Bible study when your brain can't read much more than a few sentences. But what we need to learn to do is, even in the midst of turmoil, have a few scriptures that we keep in our head as our anchor truths. And even if all we can do is a five-word prayer, then we need to do a five-word prayer. And those need to be our disciplines. The 
The disciplines for times of more stability are the in-depth Bible studies and longer prayers and fasting and other spiritual disciplines. But during times of turmoil and transition and stress, we've got to have the basic quick short ones. Yeah. It's like your survival kit. It's like your survival kit. It's like your trail mix and your jar of water. You've got to have those. Well, this, this is nowhere near the level of disruption you're talking about, but I did a, I've been doing these uh, little weekly things on Instagram and I did this thing I did last week was about maintaining some kind of equilibrium in the face of disruption because we had, um, wildfires in September that totally knocked us out of our rhythm for 10 days or more. We had a windstorm shortly after that, that just completely, you know, took our power out, internet, everything, and just, again, knocked us out of our rhythm for several days. And then we just had a major snowstorm, um, which, you know, just one more disruption. And I started to think, I'm not doing really well. <laughs> I, I'm I'm such a, a creature of habit and so on. And when I when I end up spending all day responding to the crisis I'm living in, um, I don't do the things I know I should be doing. And so that's just a tiny, tiny picture of what you're talking about. But it it is so hard when the norms and the rhythms of life suddenly right. just get pulled out from under us, and we but we still have to somehow survive. We have to. Um, we have to figure out, okay, I've got to make it through this. So what do I have to do in order to do that? And, and so what I come down on for me, this is real life learned experience, but, but for anybody in that state or anybody in the throes of, of transition and adjustment is we need a life of, of constant connectivity to God, you know, quick prayers, Mm-hmm. just being aware of his presence. We don't have to say a whole lot, but we need to stay connected to him. And I really believe we need to memorize God's word. Uh-huh. I need it in my head because uh-huh. the electricity will go out. My phone will run out of battery and I can't see anything and I can't check my phone. Yeah. Um, the wonderful thing, if we memorize God's word is we can use it in the middle of the night yeah. We can use it while we're waiting in the doctor's office. And it has this wonderful effect of kind of marinating our mind and starting to come to us at odd moments mm-hmm. and show us how it needs to be applied. And, and it, then it becomes a live thing inside us. So I am a great proponent of memorizing. Thank you for that encouraging reminder to continue committing scripture to memory. So we've talked some about, I mean, you've gone through what your book covers and I mean, it's got some amazing, good worksheets. And I, I'm really hoping that some people, some of our listeners will pick up that resource and really use that and encourage their missionaries to use that. But I also wanted to ask, what do you think are some of the unrealistic expectations that our missionaries go to the field with that kind of sideline them? You know what, Kara? I want to answer that question. Can I just address something about the book that won't be apparent unless I explain it here? And that is we can do a lot of uh, pre-field training of missionaries, teach them stress management and all of that. But they're so busy, you know, raising support and selling their homes and getting ready that that it's hard for them to take in anything else. And they aren't 
experiencing the need at that point. When they really need these helps that are in the seven tasks that they need to do is when they're on the field. And it's hard to reach them at that point where, you know, those of us member care people aren't with them any longer. Um, But that's when they need them. And that's why I wrote the book is so that they can take it with them. And I did it, as you said, Steve, as a workbook on purpose, because I didn't want them just to read about loss and think, oh, yeah, that's true. And then forget about it. I wanted them to wrestle with what are the losses for them? What is their style of grieving? So I I wanted to force them to interact with the material. And it's not only for them. Many people's style when they're going through something is not to read a book. Yeah. Especially when you're exhausted and your two-year-old's been up all night and your electricity's off. You're not going to read a book. Mm -hmm. But if somebody from the home office or a field leader on the field says, your assignment is to read this book. And every month we're going to discuss together a different chapter. Or they've got a group of 10 people somewhere in their first term and they're hashing it over together. You know, that's when you get a richness of interaction over these concepts. So the book is meant to be used for the first termer, but also for anybody who's trying to help them Uh get through the first term and just find out how they're doing and how are they doing in any of these areas. Or it can be used for missionaries in their 10th year, but they really are. It's very clear to you. They're not figuring out Sabbath. Right. And they're very stressed. So then you can say to them, I really recommend that you read chapter two on stress and then get back to me. Tell me what you think or read chapter five on Sabbath and then we'll talk about it. So it can be used as kind of a toolbox for any time. And that's why it was written the way it was. So your question was, what are some of the unrealistic expectations people have? One is that they're going to be, it's going to sound trite if I say it, but it's still true that they're going to be spiritual giants and saints just because they're doing something sacrificial and ministry oriented. Right. It's like by signing up for something so big and so sacrificial and so ministry oriented that you're going to be given extra spiritual gifts. You're not. Yeah. It's the same you (laughs) that you've always (laughs) struggled with. (laughs) It's, it's, the same, it's the same you under more stress. It's the same you under more stress. Yeah. And fewer with fewer resources. Yeah. Right. With fewer and more resources. demands on your time. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes that picture isn't pretty. Right. Yeah. yeah. Another one is that is because what the missionary has committed to do, whether it's to be a missionary doctor or educator or church planter, the the mission is so important and so critical that they will be productive and get results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can get it through. Yeah. And you would wish that that were true. Mm-hmm. But then when the ministry doesn't work out, um, they don't do well. Um, everything is done right that could be done right, but things fall apart. Yeah. And, and here's another one that, that people don't expect, and it's very sad, but it's true. Um, there will be friendly fire. Mm. 
And by that, I mean, there will be unsolicited feedback, somebody called it, um, criticism, yeah. you know, from, from colleagues, from churches, from people they don't expect it from. Mm-hmm. They maybe expect to be persecuted or given a hard time by non-believers. But when, not, when believers turn on us, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, and I think too, uh, there's often, there's the expectations we put on ourselves. Like, oh, this is what's going to happen and I'm going to do this. And, mm-hmm. and oh my goodness. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, they expect not to be needy. Yeah. 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 Well, you expect to accomplish so much and, uh, and, I, and it's, we just get into such a mindset, a North American mindset of I've got to produce something. I've yeah. got to have results. I've got to, I mean, there's people paying for me to be here. Oh, and they're paying for me to be here. And so I need to show them something for their investment. Whereas I wish we could send people to the field and say, okay, your first two years, language and culture. Yeah, those are important, but that's, that's what you're going to do. Just relax about it. I, I would even advocate to six months or a year of no school for their kids that first year, because I feel like, I feel like as a family, there's those adjustments that they need to make as a family. And if they really have the freedom to immerse themselves in the culture and focus on their new home and their new way of living. Anyway, I just dream about people having that freedom to be that, mm-hmm. that immersion in six, six to 12 months of just getting their, getting so soaking in their new place. But it, we're so driven that I've got to produce something. I've got to show some results. Yeah. Uh, there are little old grandmothers sacrificially giving so I have to got to do something. Yes. And, and, you know, it, it's a hard thing, too, because people who raise support feel like they have to sell themselves. I don't like that word, but you know what I mean? Oh, I know. Yeah, they 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 have they have gotten people. Hopefully, God has gotten people to give to them, yeah. but they feel very responsible. Yeah. And, and so then they feel like, yes, I have to produce. Yeah. It's a, a very heavy feeling. Um, yeah, which is also leads into how can I take time off? How can I step away from what I'm doing? And uh, there's just so many things that get wrapped up in that. So right. um, what, what realistically, I mean, if you had your way and you could, you could work with every mission agency and you say, okay, this is what we're going to expect out of a first term. Out of the first two years, someone's in a new country. These are the expectations for that missionary family. What, what, what would you, you know, you got to say, what, what would it be? Well, in one of the missions I worked with, the Africa director, this was for all that missions, missionaries in Africa. His goal for the first term was very simple. And I loved it. He said, if you survive, and you're willing to go back, that's successful. Hmm. Okay. And they needed to hear that over and over again. Yeah. Um, and, and I think something more laid back, like, yes, um, if they can have a good shot at the beginnings of language, yeah. 
depending on it, you know, if it's Chinese or Russian, that's a lot longer than Spanish. (laughs) And some, some languages are a lot more difficult than others. Um, But I, I would say I agree with that. If they have learned how to survive, to get around, to have some hobbies, some recreations, if they have made a friend or two among the host nationals, and some expatriate friends because they need both. Yeah. Let's be realistic. They yeah. need both. And they and they stay married if they were married to begin with. Yes. That's good. They still love the Lord. And they have some stress management mechanisms developed. That's that's good enough. Yeah. Okay. You know, once upon a time, um, my husband, who was then the director of Latin America Mission, convened a, a group of all the ministries and pastors that he knew in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And his question for them was this. He said, do you still want us to bring long-term missionaries from North America? Mm-hmm. That was his question for them. Yeah. And they said, yes. They said, don't bring anybody who doesn't want to stay at least 10 years. Wow. Wow. Um, and uh, their message really was stay some, pick people, bring us people who will really learn to understand our culture, yeah. who will speak the language well, who will identify with us. They're not just passing through thinking they could change the world in two years. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a hard message to hear, but it was instructive. Yeah. And, and I say that to come down on the side of what you mentioned, Steve, to say, yes, let them learn slowly. Yeah. Let them take time to um, not feel so driven, but get to know their way around um, and learn how to have Sabbath and play and enjoy the culture. Not all parts of it. We didn't enjoy our own culture all in every part, you know, (laughs) enjoy enough of it to um, want to go back there. So what do you think are some of the barriers to our missionaries being able to do these things that you you're talking about to that could lead to more successful long-term missionary career? Um, I, I think one of the barriers is their expectations that it's, not going to be as hard as it is and that that they have to show results to their supporters um, and so on. One of the biggest barriers we've already mentioned that is they, they get very, very tired and exhausted and they really need time to rest. Um, sometimes their, their churches and their mission leaders don't know how to help them learn these things. They yeah. kind of know they need to learn them. And, and quite honestly, some, um, let's call them veteran missionaries, they've been on the field 20, 30 years. Some of them are better at helping the newer ones than others. Yeah. Some have forgotten. Yeah. They feel like I went through it. I'm a fine, you know, chin up and get through it. Mm-hmm. And others are more sympathetic and more helpful. And so those that by nature and by gifting are more helpful should be harnessed to help the newer ones learn what they need to learn. So let's talk about um, people that you've seen 
that maybe we're struggling, but you've you've helped them or someone has helped them make some small changes and they've really gone on to thrive. Can you um, just mention some some examples or some uh, incidences there? Well, fortunately, yeah, there are a lot of those. I remember a couple that I visited in Senegal and they had been there about six months and they were just kind of fit to be tied with their the mosquitoes that were in and how hot it was and their daughter wasn't sleeping at night and the electricity was going off all the time and there wasn't enough water, you know, and I just listened and sympathized and taught them some basic stress management techniques. And I'm glad to say that they, next time I saw them was four years later and they were, they were accustomed to the country and they were ready to go back. Another couple um, that was in Europe and they, they had been there actually for quite a while were deeply involved in ministry and in severe burnout. And um, they could not leave the field because they had seven kids and five of them would have been severely disrupted and some ministries couldn't be, you know, dropped. So we figured out a way, I won't go into a lot of detail, how to help them do kind of staggered Sabbaths and pull out of some ministries for both of them. And it took actually quite a long time for them to come out of burnout. And they're still in ministry now. They write me every year, um, delighted with the fact that they came back from from what was pretty severe burnout. Um, Another thing that I got to doing in in the last mission that I worked with was a first-term stress debrief. So I'd go, for example, to Africa, let's say East Africa, and gather all of the first-termers that were available. One time I had 19 of them. And I would kind of, in a retreat setting, walk them through the the seven tasks that are in that book. But I wasn't lecturing them. I was just letting them talk. That How did they deal with the stress? How did they deal with the loss? How are they doing with this? And they just poured out their hearts to each other the expression on their faces was noticeable after the retreat. They looked different. Mm-hmm. They, they felt heard, and not only by me, but by each other. Uh-huh. The main thing they had discovered was that they were normal. Mm-hmm. They weren't alone. They weren't alone, and they were normal, and they were going to get through it. That's great. I, it's just encouraging to hear that there is that these things can make a significant change. And there might be someone out there that's feeling that burnout or that fatigue Mm -hmm. or that, man, I don't know if I can make it to the end of my first term, or maybe I've been here 10 years and I still feel like I'm in my first term. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just these tools that you have, I think, you know, what you're sharing could be significant in someone's life. And that's really encouraging. It doesn't have to stay the way it is. No, I would say one of my main functions as, and I am a psychologist, but in interacting with missionaries and first-termers was to listen to them well and then let them know what you're experiencing isn't normal. In other words, this is too much anxiety or this is too much insomnia. Uh You need help. Here's what you need. Or this is normal. It's hard, but it's, you're okay. For a first-termer, this is normal. If you just keep doing X, Y, and Z, you're going to make it through. Um, I want to, uh, just a question that came to my mind, and I'm hoping for one answer. I don't know what the answer is going to be. Do you get any pushback from an organization that maybe you say, you know, 
you really need to take, an, in, you, your first termers need that inventory like you were talking about or that debrief at the end of two years. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get a pushback from an organization saying, oh no, you know, they'll be fine. We'll bring them back after their first two years and just see, check in on them. Um, sort of like, do they just sort of like downplay those first two years? Well, when I instituted the first term debrief, and, and another thing that I instituted was um, something I called a, a stress debrief line item. In other words, each new missionary couple or single had to raise enough money oh. so that it was in their budget mm -hmm. so that after four to six months, if they needed to get away, they had money to go to a hotel or fly out of the country briefly or not come back to the States, you know, They're just take, take a deep breath. breath. Yeah. yeah. Get some rest from it. Okay. Um, actually, the leadership supported me in it and, and they did it. It was the on the field missionaries who said, why do they get this extra vacation? And I had to say, this is not vacation. You, the, here they are on the field. They're going through the first term stress. You want them to stay or not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, and, and not everybody needs that, but the money was there if yeah. they needed it. And wow. that alone has made the difference in a lot of first-termers' lives. That's great. I, I love that concept of having that money available to them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much that that you wrote this book and that this resource is out there. And um, I think it, it can really continue to make a difference. And, you know, we want people to succeed long-term on the field. And uh, I think I was thinking about kind of the missiological concept that we have these days that has been shifting from long-term to short-term and effectiveness of that. And that's a whole nother discussion, but if we could have successful long-term missionaries on the field, would we do it? Do we want to continue to do that? And I think the answer is yes. And this tool I think that you've created, I think can really help in that. We, we do want them to, and, and there are biblical supports for, for those ideas. And in each chapter, there's quite a bit of scripture that supports the whole idea, obviously of Sabbath, but also of play and of doing our grieving and managing our stress there there this is this is not something psychological that's outside the realm of scripture it fits with how god wants us to live well connie thank you for your time uh i every interview we do i just enjoy the wisdom that gets shared with us and i'm excited to pass this on through the podcast well thank you you can tell i'm passionate about this so thank you for being interested and having me Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. So, Kara, that was a great interview with Connie. Loved the things she has to say. I was thinking about some of the conversations you have with missionary guests here at Sanctuary Inn and then some of the thoughts that Connie shared. What kinds of things kind of thinking about both of those areas uh, really stood out to you from today. Yeah, I really was just struck by how her research and this workbook she's created is just an incredible tool for first-term missionaries to have something tangible to work through, to learn these habits and these rhythms so that they can succeed for the long term. Um, and it, so it's not a, 
a quick burnout, you know, and mm. it doesn't, it's hard. The first term is hard. And I think we need to give our first termers the permission. And that's a lot of what we talked about today, too, is that permission to walk that road and learn the language and the culture and to acclimate and adjust and to not set unrealistic expectations. Yeah. So you think you hear that from people in your conversations that sometimes the expectations that are put on them or maybe they put on themselves is probably probably are unrealistic. Yeah, they are unrealistic many times and um, they don't know what to do and they don't know what the alternatives are. And I feel like this workbook would just be a great tool for them to have some good steps to take and has some tangible solutions. Okay. Well, it was a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in to the innkeepers and um, be sure and pass on the word. If you have friends that you think would be interested in listening, be sure and share about the podcast and how they can listen. Thank you again for listening to the innkeepers. Thank you for tuning in to the innkeepers podcast. Our mission at Sanctuary Inn is to equip, refresh, and restore God's global workers for kingdom purposes. We hope today's podcast was an encouragement to you and maybe you were prompted to pass this along to someone you know that will benefit from today's conversation. Creating a podcast is a team effort. Car and I prepare and do the interviews and we're grateful for the time that our guests give us out of their busy schedules to help us learn more about missionary care. We also want to thank Tim Downing for the music that he wrote and performed specifically for the Innkeepers podcast. Tim is a very talented musician, and you can learn more about him and his work at downingkeys.com. Our podcast is edited by Javier Bolanos and is produced by Tim Cowley of Cowley Visuals. If you have media needs, including film, photography, or audio, you can reach Tim at cowleyvisuals.com. Our website and show notes are prepared by Micah Gibbons, Cara's amazing husband. You can visit the Sanctuary Inn website and learn more about the ministry of Sanctuary Inn at sanctuaryinn.org. Thank you again for joining us on our journey to learn more about missionary care. See you next time.